Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me tonight is Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Troy, welcome to the show. It is good to be back. It feels like it's been forever, though it probably hasn't been. It's all that time in the trenches. Oh, God. Hmm. Sad, sad times. We also welcome back our elite irregular panelist, Bruce Garrick. Yeah! Hello, gamers! So is that your St. Patrick's Day accent, or...? I don't know. I thought it was my Viking accent. Is that what it is? You're not a master yeah. of accents, then. Oh, I, I didn't get Viking from that, actually. Okay. I got, like, Borat trying to do Irish on St. <laughs> Patrick's Day, but missing. Okay. Oh, cool. Fine. All right. Uh, so there, are the, no, there are no Irish in this game, right? Oh, wait. No, there are. Oh, God, yes. Of course there are. Yeah, okay. So this week we are continuing our winter into spring of wargaming, and we'll discuss that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are continuing our winter of wargaming with John Tiller's Squad Battles First World War. And uh, John Tiller is sort of a legendary wargame designer and a very old school one, and the Squad Battles series is uh, probably one of the you know biggest games in town when it comes to sort of squad level turn based combat um not that's a booming genre these days but there <laughs> you have it yeah um and so because in partly because i've been interested in world war 1 for a while and because there aren't actually that many games that cover world war 1 on a tactical level uh, i thought we'd definitely give this one a look and i have to say it's it's pretty interesting although it comes with a, a whole lot of caveats uh but but troy why don't we start with you how have you been finding your time in the trenches there's a compared to other squad battles games i've played that's that's, that's first world war games there are a lot of first world war games at this level, uh, first thing we've talked about last year when we did the uh, anniversary of the start of the war, there aren't that many to pick from to begin with. But the, you know, down literally in the trenches, leading troops over the top in action isn't something you'll see in many First World War games. And the ones we talked about tended to be either, you know, thematic. We did like uh, Last Express. So we did a strategy game, a grand strategy one. Uh type war game and we did um the war in the air the actual fighting of the battles isn't really a, co- a big theme in war games in general and certainly not in the computer space and I mean, bruce could probably talk to the war game space a little bit more and i think my f- my gut reaction if i was someone to ex- describe this game to me is it explains how hard it was to do anything uh, in the First World War, how to make any attack work in the short amount of time you had. I know crossing over cratered ground with no mobility, so easy to get pinned down, getting killed by your own artillery, not having enough gas to do anything, primitive tanks getting stuck before they can get where they're supposed to be going. It's, in many ways, a lesson in frustration. Um, and it's not all part of the game, it's the fault of the game design, it's part of the period, part of the game design, part of it is the interface. But it was certainly an interesting experience, and it's something I think people should, if people want to get, a, I think, a feel for what trying to lead an offensive out of a trench was like, this is a, it's not the only place to go, it's not a bad place to go. Now, Bruce, why don't we talk a little bit about the Squad Battles series in general? Uh, obviously, it's a series that covers a, a whole bunch of different conflicts. I believe there's even a uh, uh, Soviets in Afghanistan Squad Battles game as well. Uh, and if you open the manual for uh, First World War, you will yes. discover that it has one general manual for the entire right. series. So there's a lot yeah. of puzzling Vietnam references uh, yes. in this World War One manual. Uh, I was shocked yeah. when I read the section on helicopters, uh, and I was thinking, my God, we're going <laughs> to bust this eep salient why the why the fuck open yeah uh but that turned out not to be the case um but so bruce why don't we talk a little bit about the 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 squad battle series and sort of what its uh whole approach is what it's trying to get at about conflict at this level so you know squad battles um has been around for a long time um i want to say uh early 2000s and uh it uh, it started. I you know there was a squ- there were squad battles in Vietnam, uh, and it was a very interesting sort of um, a, a very interesting thing. First of all, at that time, to really even address the idea of Vietnam combat, um, you know there still hadn't been that many Vietnam uh, computer games, and 
the idea of squad battles, Vietnam was more sort of surprising, first of all, for the fact that John Teller was making a squad-level game, and on the second hand, whether his approach to, to this, you know, sort of meticulous modeling of, uh, of, you know, of every, you know, every soldier and every gun and every factor uh, was, was going to work. And it, surprisingly for me, it did. Uh, in, in those battles, you know, you had a, a wide variety of, um, of weapons. You had rocket launchers, you had machine guns, you had mortars, you had grenades, uh, and you had a lot of tactile flexibility to use them. So, when you played the Vietnam games, um, they were very interesting sort of tactical puzzles, and the scenarios were pretty good. And, um, you know, that were really, um, you know, a lot of the things that the game did made sense in the context of the Vietnam, you know, Vietnam milieu. So, you know, you could have, um, you know, you'd overrun uh, an enemy position and you'd capture their mortars, and all of a sudden you could use their mortars. Um, you know, you had these little, uh, you know, counters with, um, I mean, it was really a board game, uh, but uh, with, with, you know, really exquisite detail in terms of ammo and number of men and everything like that. But, um, but you'd have little counters for the weapons that were, that were lying there, and uh, you could pick them up, you know, have a machine gun, you pick that up, um, and especially as the, uh, as the Viet Cong or um, the NVA, you could, uh, you know, you could pick these weapons up and it was sort of a, it was a, it was a real tactic to try to overwhelm a certain part mm -hmm. of the, of the enemy to, to upgrade your, upgrade your weapons. So in that sense, it really, I mean, the whole system made sense. And what I find with games like this, you know, where there's a series and it just gets sort of plugged into, you know, I almost feel like it's, you know, the, the game system becomes this sort of, um, you know, my mom still has this old uh, meat grinder where she would make sausage and it's this big kind of metal and ceramic thing mm -hmm. and you just put stuff in the top and you turn the handle and the stuff comes out at the bottom and in that case it happens to be really tasty um <laughs> here it's it, i'm not sure what is coming out um you know the, there's the the idea of these these weapons being left on the ground is a it's a perfect example of how this mechanic in World War One doesn't really make a lot of sense. You know, if you um, you play one of these scenarios, and of course, you know the casualties are horrific. So you know, you as you move your troops forward, they just are getting you know completely destroyed. Um, and then you see all these rifles lying on the mm -hmm. ground, and you, I you know I started to think. I remember this in the old games. Make you know it made a difference. And here it makes no difference at all. It's just these. These random counters, and I could imagine in a board game, you know, you very quickly stop putting those counters down because they don't do anything. I mean, there's no there's no real incentive to, they don't have an effect on the game. So if, I can imagine if you and I were playing that game, we would just say, you know what, D just don't put any of those rifle counters down. Just just keep them in the keep them in the box. We don't need to use them. Yeah, I I, I really found that a baffling decision because this is and, and this is I suppose an artifact of the first. Uh, of the early games being sort of asymmetric warfare games where totally. one side absolutely needs the latest and greatest hardware and there's probably going to be yep. some high value weapons out on that battlefield like uh -huh. my god here's a grenade launcher or here's a belt right. fed machine gun I can use as a squad assault weapon here right. the armies are basically mirrors of each other there's a few special weapons that you might care if you come across like hey there's a Lewis gun great right. uh, but by and large what you're uncovering is like ah there's a dead german's mauser and 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 there and there's another and here's a here's an enfield and nobody needs any of it because it's all interchangeable parts which is one of yes. the issues with the entire war but right. but yeah you've got all these counters and they all take up space on the screen and lead to real uh, visual clutter and then they appear in your uh, interface bar where where you where you can survey the uh the units that are that are there present in the hex, and mm -hmm. those weapons show up there as well. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely a case where like this is something that probably should have been sort of excised from the design. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that that could have been excised from the design, or the thing that could have been changed about not just the design, but the you know the whole the whole game. Um, you know, these John Tiller games have been sort of famous for a certain type of. Uh, of interface and a certain type of presentation. And that's been the case since, you know, I saw the first game back in, I don't know what it was, 1997 or so, maybe 1998 with the, um, you know, Panzer campaign series. Mm -hmm. uh, and even before that, I mean, I, I know that, um, 
you know, John Tiller, for those who are listening who may not recall, or maybe not old enough to um, to recall this time in gaming, he was the uh, designer of uh, many of the Battleground games for uh, Talonsoft, when Talonsoft was an actual company. And uh, it was just as the very same thing. You know, you had a hex grid, and you clicked on the hex, and you had to individually select every unit. And then you sort of clicked in the next hex you wanted to go to, and the next hex you wanted to go to. And it was all, you know, very click-happy. But for people who were just getting computers that were able to, you know, display, you know, an actual counter that looked like a counter and not just a, you know, a box with a cross through it, um, it was, you know, it was, it was amazing. And, and, and people... People ate it up. I did, too. Um, but the problem is that the, the whole system hasn't changed basically at all. I mean, it, it's it's almost the same game that came out, you know, gosh, what would that be, 18 years ago? And it's the same system. And so you just get new, um, you just get new iterations of the same thing. And the further you go, the more obvious it becomes that you're sort of shoehorning certain, you know, elements into a system, into a design that is outdated and then it's just held together by this interface that is almost i mean it's almost intolerable at times um and it just shows you how important game design actually is because you know if you took some elements of this game and emphasized some de-emphasized others you know and it had a different kind of squad battles to it i think it would be actually a really interesting game but um all the sort of detritus of uh of the old design is just just bogs the whole thing down there's there's more to be said about the design, but I want to do just a little more stage setting because that that's some that's some of the background of the squad battle series. What I what I'm curious about is like a lot of war games have a certain angle, right? They're like like they're making an argument about how combat played out at a certain level or why things had a certain dynamic. Um, what like what do you think is like, wh- why does the Squad Battle series exist? Why did John Tiller, who was sort of renowned for these hyper-detailed operational war games, go and decide to make something that is down to the individual, you know, you know, down to the individual platoon commander? The guy is there on the battlefield with a name and a sidearm. Uh, why, like, why did, like, what, what approach to combat does, does the Squad Battle series take? Well, I mean, in my opinion, the, the game is incredibly mechanistic in the sense that I think that you sort of the the weapon systems are um, are the most important thing about the game. Uh, you know whether you have a flamethrower or whether you have you know a bazooka or uh, you know an automatic rifle or something like that uh, is is probably the most important thing about your unit. And then there's of course morale, but um, it's it, I feel it's it's less morale heavy than a game like, for example. Uh, squad leader. Squad leader is a game which we've discussed. That game is really that game is about the the pressure that's placed on men in combat and how they respond to it. Because you have uh, entire squads that you roll dice for, and those squads, uh, you know, sort of the the granularity is not as as uh, as small as in squad battles. Squad battles tracks every single person in the squad, and so you have a lot less. Um, ability for this, you know, sort of mass morale failure. And you also have a greater ability for, you know, sort of area effect weapons to take a bigger toll. So to me, the, um, the, the, the argument of squad battles is, you know, you need to have the best guns, or you need to have the best weapon system. And the one with the best weapon system is going to win. And interestingly enough, in, uh, in World War One, nobody had the best weapon system. They were equal. And in, in squad battles, the argument after that is if you don't have the best weapon system, then unless there's you have a huge numerical advantage, the attacker is going to lose because the defender has the, the benefit of terrain. So um, so from a World War One perspective, uh, that's pretty, I mean, that, that models World War One pretty well. Now, whether all those aspects need to be in this design, um, I'm not sure that that's the case. I think Bruce really hits it, especially. I mean, compared to like a, a combat, um, close combat, which you talked about a couple of months ago, which is again, you know, squad level and individual soldiers are modeled. But there you have a much greater emphasis on morale and on keeping a unit together. Um, because it's World War II, there's also, you know, more mobility, there's more varied terrain. Um, here we have largely most of the battles are kind of the same, where you have 
slight differences between the distance of the trenches and occasionally there might be a terrain feature to deal with. And it's largely how many turns do you have to get to the objectives and how quickly you can break out. So it is about, you know, the importance of your equipment, but it's about can you choose where to put that equipment? And it's scenario design is very important in the squad battles games, and many of them have really, really good scenario design. Um, I, I, I'm glad that Bruce mentioned the Vietnam one, because I think it has some really excellent, as I recall, excellent challenges, some great tactical puzzles, uh, and how to use the terrain and how to make the most of the weapons you have and bring them to bear. Um, and as far as scenario design goes, I think, you know, World War One squad battles does still kind of hold up. There are interesting challenges in places. Sometimes you're given you're given the information you need to say, look, you have, a, you have a few tanks and there are all these machine gun nests you've got to get through, but there's two lines of trenches. Can you get what needs doing in 10 turns? Or can you get to those forests in 14 turns? Uh, where are you going to send your South African raiders? All of these little puzzle challenges, and it, it's you know it's something we talk about every now and then in the show, that a puzzle isn't a game. But the way the tactical problems present themselves, there, it is largely about bringing your best weapons to bear, uh, which are off, which in this game are gas tanks, if you've got them, and getting your, you know, getting lucky artillery hits. Um, it's a very harsh reminder of how bad artillery was, how, inac how inaccurate it was in the early 20th century. The first game I played when we had our codes, one stray shell from my own artillery guns killed my commander, landed right on him, and there was a pistol. All that was left of him was a pistol <laughs> on a crater. <laughs> and you picked that pistol up, and you took that hill, thanks to that I pistol. I picked that pistol up, and I threw it at him. I've seen enough movies to know that works. <laughs> uh, uh, but, so, and, and, you know, the, the symmetry of warfare is an issue, and it's not like people in World War I didn't pick up better weapons because the Canadian Ross rifles kept blowing up, so we picked up the British rifles. But we weren't, you know, raiding the German stores uh, for, hey, the Germans got a really nice super gun. It's our guns sucked uh, because of political patronage. So here's your Canadian World War I fact for the day. The British screwed us all the time. Mm. Um, so that, was, that, was a, that was a Canadian thing, Canadian government. <clears throat> Sir Sam Hughes, we still hate you. <laughs> um, so there's still some of that. Uh, in World War One, but it's irrelevant in this game, as Bruce mentioned. So, if you if your side doesn't have tanks, then they don't have this super weapon. But you can't steal a tank. It's not like you can capture the tank and then turn that against the enemy. So you don't have that aspect that you would in uh, some of the uh, World War Two games or uh, the Vietnam game. I like to play the Afghan war game, so I think that would actually be quite an interesting. Um, test of the system, I think a lot like the Vietnam squad battles. But yeah. here I just don't think that this in, in a lot of ways it reminds the squad battle system has become like Century of Warfare, where you have this system and people just throw scenarios on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would argue though at least Century of Warfare was designed to roughly work that way and it sort of broke down at the margins but I think it largely worked. Yeah, and here we have we have a system that isn't fine-tuned enough for each. I mean, the, I, I think the, the the larger problem of World War One is captured here, and that's great. Whether it makes for an interesting game is a different question. Now, whether that's the fault of the system and what it chooses to emphasize, or whether that's the fault of there is absolutely no way to make this interesting, which is certainly something uh, we should talk about. Uh, we have an interesting problem, but there's no interesting solution. Well, okay, so my I think I think it's the fault of the game. If this is not coming across as interesting, I think a big part of that is the way the game plays out. And I actually I think I think as I increasingly find myself these days, I'm the person who liked the game the most on the podcast. Um, I don't know what what's happening to me. I don't know why I'm suddenly becoming Mr. Sunshine, but there you have it. Collusion. That too. Um, all the payola I'm getting from John Tiller. So. Because playing out these scenarios, I find the problems here pretty interesting. I find the... Um, Absolutely. The problems are interesting, no, no doubt. Yeah, like the 
The fact that everything takes so much time, and, and, and partly, well, what I mean is scenario time is what I'm talking about here. The fact that, like, once troops are committed, you can't really ever get that decision back. Every Like, once units go over the top and are committed to a line of attack, you can't really shift them over to support someone else very easily, so you really have to go into the plan and roughly execute on that plan throughout the life of the scenario um and if you're going to give yourself any flexibility that's going to have to come from some kind of reserve you've kept back uh to react to things because like units that are committed uh you know they're stuck out there in the killing ground and it's very difficult to bring them back especially because like units here there's there's constant attrition of morale and personnel in in this game because it's tracking basically every single soldier out there every single shot uh that's happening and so you know once as, as the battle is joined squads squads are whittled down soldier by soldier their morale has several gradations um and if you try to bring someone back through the you know field of fire they just left that's a good way to lose the entire squad uh, either to casualties or just a complete shattering morale and to add on to that once they get moving and they're pinned down they might do nothing for the next three turns yes yes and that is that is that is reality of this game is that like units attacks bog down like attacks bog down almost at the moment of their success right like units are, are within sight of the objective they they have gotten through the the no man's land and they're just hitting the first trench line. They're just getting into position and they stall out because at this point they simply can't, they, they, they no longer have the will to keep advancing. And so it turns into a shootout that doesn't favor you, but I liked the challenge of bringing critical mass to the right location in these scenarios. And I, I understand what you're saying about like them being puzzle. Like I, I felt like it wasn't, it wasn't so much like a puzzle in the sense that it has one solution, but it did feel a bit like a, almost like a sand table exercise in a way, like a military school or something where it's like, look, there are a couple ways you can seize this objective. Really, you have to design the attack that's going, uh, you know, you can, you, can, you can pick from several different ideas, but you have to design an attack around your, your central idea and, and execute on that. Because if you just sort of try to feel your way out uh, in this game, things are going to go against you. The problem is, and I, I hit this again and again in this game, is that while the overall action is, is interesting, the moment-to-moment -moment action is not. Because a lot of it is units trading shots with bolt-action rifles, for instance, over a fairly significant gap. Um, or it's artillery hammering the same position again and again, turn after turn. Or it's a machine gun, you know... Yep, it's had those guys pinned down uh, in that in that blockhouse for for three turns, and gonna keep slacking them, and uh, hopefully keep them pinned down for a few more turns. And the, the problem is, this is a game where you have to do the same thing over and over again, and slowly the effects begin to take hold, and that is sort of annoying enough. But with this interface, it becomes almost tortuous. Uh, you, you are... Everything requires so many clicks to get the simplest thing done. Units move space by space. And you got to click on the stack. And then you got to click on the units within the stack in the little portrait gallery in the bottom. And then you got to right-click on the hex you want them to move to. And then the next hex. And it... And it's the same thing for shooting. You have to go and click out of movement mode and into fire mode, which, given that military units kind of only do those two things, I don't know why they're. I don't know why that becomes so difficult. I don't know why that. Why that's there. Now you can use a control key, you know. Well, I'm not a power user. <laughs> I was clicking that little. I was clicking that little toolbar up in the upper left. Um, yeah, I don't know why that's there. You, you can you, you can just hit the control yeah. key. But so yeah, so so the, the interface makes all of that worse is what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I think the overall action is actually pretty interesting. I want to get to uh -huh. that, right? But uh, but I think because of the way this type of warfare plays out, coupled with the fact that this this interface makes you makes everything kind of excruciating to to do, um, it, it becomes a less enjoyable game than I think it otherwise could be. Well, I think that what you mentioned is very interesting uh, from a sort of effect standpoint because 
the um as far as I can tell, the rules are basically the same in every single one of these games, right? I mean, there's no special rules. I mean, they're, they're helicopter rules here, for, for God's sake, right? So it's not like they designed some extra cool rules for World War I. What do they do? They basically, everything that changes is basically, it's, it's like all weapon stuff, right? And the problems that, you, that you're seeing here are, are really... They could, all these things could happen in other games, but the, in other games in the squad battle series, but they don't necessarily, and there's a reason. And that's because when you come to that point in, you know, one of the other squad battles games, especially like Vietnam or something, you have, if you concentrate your firepower at a certain point, you can eliminate your, your resistance, and then you can switch your attack because all of a sudden that part of the, you know, whatever you had, somebody was in a, in a you know, pinned you down from a house with a machine gun, all of a sudden you took a, you know, bazooka and just blew the hell out of it, right? Well, that house is gone now. And, or you, you know, threw demo charges, you used a flamethrower or a bunch of grenades or something, and you cleared out that house. Now all your guys are no longer under fire, so now they recover, and now you can go do something else. And it really is about sort of local firepower advantage, which you can't, uh, you, which you can't create in World War One using these weapons because there really is no firepower advantage except for having mass. And what's interesting to me is that the game actually gets this right without any special rules, right? I mean, there are rules for different, you know. There's there's rules for for you know. There's the tank rules and the, everything, but but my point is for I make a make sort of a, a corollary to this. Uh, there's a board game from way back in 1981 uh, called uh, Trenchfoot. It was made by GDW. It was a totally sort of incomplete game. It was an interesting game, but it was it was incomplete. But they, it modeled uh, it modeled World War One on the level of single individual uh, soldiers. So of course, with a you know board game encounters, that's you're all you're all of a sudden you know that's kind of crazy anyway. But they had the problem of what do you do with command control? And they solved it by saying you had to plot your guys six turns in advance. So you basically had to give them a plan and, you know, they had to follow it for six turns. Now, the six turns ended up only being six seconds, which is kind of weird. I mean, the, the game had a whole bunch of problems, but but the, the fundamental point is that they knew that it was World War One. You couldn't just walk around like it was Vietnam and you had, you know, squads with, you know, that had radio contact and, 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 and could, you know, change the point of attack uh, quickly. So they had to do something. Vietnam uh, squad battles and, and, and first uh, squad battles, first world war don't, I mean, the, the first world war rules aren't really much different, but the effect that you're describing actually comes out of, you know, organically out of the system, which I think is a really interesting thing and it's a it's a it's an excellent achievement for for a game system um the problem is that like you said actually making it happen can often not be that interesting yeah and definitely that's part of the uh part part of the interface but it is everything here is like a slow process of um, attrition and accretion right like i had a scenario and it was really, really satisfying when I, when I got to sort of sit back and, and, and look at to and consider how it had all played out. But at a scenario where um, it was a 1914 scenario, uh, the British were counterattacking uh, to recapture, I think, a part of the uh, Ypres salient that they'd lost. And the Germans were sort of celebrating in the town nearby. Uh, and so the, the, the British have the initiative, uh, but they're attacking a pretty strong position they've recently had to vacate. And... One of the things that happened was that I sort of identified that the Germans were all concentrated uh, in the sort of eastern part of the town and along this trench line and up into this hill uh, and these, this forested hill along a river. But on the western side of the map, on the on the very left, uh, it was it was kind of empty. There were, there weren't a lot of Germans, and I had a pretty clear line of sight, so I could sort of drive anyone out. And so I made a really, you know, quick decision. I was going to drive, uh, you know, a full company of the attack out in this flanking move and, you know, use that to get around the edge of the German flank and then sort of work my way through the town just doing, like, traditional street fighting. And 
for a while, the attack was 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 kind of a bloody shambles. The guys coming up the middle were getting hammered by the guys in, by the Germans in the village. Um, but once my guys hit their objective and they reached the trench line and that western side of the village, and slowly started to swing at a flank position on the Germans, um, turn on turn, you could see suddenly the Germans were just were just getting hammered. Right, like you know, each like every time it was the German phase, the reaction fire was costing them, you know, a few. You know, it's sometimes up to like a dozen guys uh, on their turn, and then my fire on my turn was costing them more casualties. And over the course of like three turns, the German position just completely disintegrated, right? Like all the units are starting to get pinned down, the return fire slackens, units are boogieing out of there, officers are frozen. Uh, it was really great. It was really satisfying to see how beautifully it had worked. Um, but, the, but the problem is that playing that out was three turns of me going around each of my units and being like, all right, fire at these guys again. And I hear little rifle shooty sounds and like, okay, no effect. But every rifleman, rifle unit can fire three times. So just do it a few more times and, and repeating that process over and over. And so it was kind of this weird at the macro level, um, being commander in this game was actually really interesting, but it, there was so much micro in this game, so many things that that I, I sort of had to be dealing with each turn, that it sort of killed uh, the momentum of the overall scenario, uh, and I, I sort of found myself thinking as I, as I was playing it, like, I think it's a shame that war games are 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 so tangential to a lot of the conversation around games, and likewise, I think they they also get isolated from the way people are making games for the mainstream right now. Like I found myself thinking playing this, like, you know, I could like without too much effort, I could design a pretty cool world war one game using a variation in the system that plays out a lot more like say XCOM. It's not inconceivable that you could do something like that. But what we've got is this sort of insistence on, well, no, you have to have all these options. Are those options meaningful? Eh, Every once in a great while, so therefore we need them. And Which, what, do you, what do you mean by options, though? Tell me a little bit. Okay. What we... So I found it fairly unusual that I needed to split my fire with a single rifle unit uh, between multiple targets in a turn. A lot of times, like most of the time, the vast majority of the time, I was using all my firing actions to just hammer one target. Uh, and cause I'm, cause mass fire pays off in this game a lot of times. And it was one of those things where it's like, I just, I found myself thinking like, you know, I kind of wish I just could like, I, I kind of just wish I could sort of band select and fire all these guys at this target at once rather than go through and sort of painstakingly assemble, you know, the, the, this, the, this fire. Uh, I think you can. Across multiple hexes. That's a good question. Yeah, because uh, within the hex, you can activate all the units in the stack. Right, 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 right. But, but the other thing is this. Why, like, but then I was doing it like three times within a, within a hex, uh, uh-huh. you know, firing as many times as, as my units had fire actions. And again, it was like one of those things where, yeah, every once in a while, it was useful to be able to switch targets. Like, want to put a little shots on these guys, mm-hmm. a few shots on these guys. Most of the time, especially with infantry, though, I was just like, you know, hammering the same position again and again and again and repeating that turn after turn after turn. And that kind of turned into a drag. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you that, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting macro. It's, it's uh, not interesting micro, but I mean, I think... It, I'm not a developer, so I don't know how how hard it would be to you know to rewrite these games for, uh, you know, for the um, for the for the given situation, or how hard it would be to rewrite the you know squad battle series. It seems to me like it's very easy for them to get new orders of battle, new art, and just put it in the engine, and boom, you're done, right? I mean, yeah. it's basically they're just they're essentially scenario packs, and you know, my understanding is that John Tiller, you know, his Basically, he's a, a programmer for, I mean, the U.S. government, I believe, is what his primary contracting is for. And, you know, the war game thing, I think, is, you know, and, and one of the listeners or somebody can, can uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think HPS is kind of a side business for him, an, an important side business, but it's still a side business. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I just think it's a, that he is not willing to, uh, you know, invest the resources and time that it would take to 
redo what he's done. I mean, he's probably used a lot, some of the code base from the, you know, from the Battleground series. I mean, the thing, the stuff is so similar. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, people do still play it. You know, that's, it's the problem. You know, I really liked his games um, until games started becoming much easier to use, you know, and then one of the, one of the sort of big revelations around the time of, um, you know, Course and Pocket was, I mean, think about, Rob, you know, you played Course and Pocket so that, yeah. uh, you know, for, for, for the Winter War gaming, and um, just think about the interface there and the interface here. And Course and Pocket was, what, like five years after, after, um, after Squad Battles? Uh, no, five years after Panzer Campaign. Yes. So, you know, the, you know, the sort of the, the state of the art moves, and as soon as the state of the art moves, you sort of become accustomed to that. And you think, okay, well, you know, I could do the game this way. Um, now, you know, there are no more games in the, uh, in the SSG Decisive Battle series, yet, um, you know, HPS keeps putting out, uh, you know, games in this series and all their, you know, different Panzer Campaign series. So, you know, they certainly, longevity uh, has sort of uh, won out there. But I, I just, I feel like, you know, when, when I dive back into these games, there's too much of that extraneous stuff that I just, I can't, it's almost like I, my mind doesn't even, doesn't even accept sort of the, the interesting things going on because I'm thinking like, you know, why is that rifle there? And why am I clicking on these guys 10 times? And, you know, why is this still, I mean, I could, I could basically look at the game that I was playing in 1997 and think, you know, this is basically, I mean, this is, this is just that game with different, uh, you know, different scale and different, um, you know, different artwork, but they, and it plays exactly the same. So I, you know, I, I don't know that you can really blame this on World War One. I. I think you can blame it on um, a game that's sort of designed in a way that uh, sort of highlights all the worst aspects of its subject. And that happens to be, you know, the way that the, you know, First World War squad battles plays out. And how about those artillery barrages that take forever, huh? Yeah, there, there's an awful lot of, of sitting around and just watching barrages roll across the map and mm -hmm. yep all right struck that hex let's see if it did mm -hmm. any damage yep. and mm -hmm. yeah just just waiting for that to happen right again and again um you know it, it, it's funny I, I think when i think a lot of, of a lot of games from that era you, when you talk about like your mind can't even process it I think part of that is because when I think back to games of that era and, and games that sort of have the same like interface sensibilities as this one, I edit that stuff out of my memory. Like I don't actually remember the mechanics of yeah. playing like uh, pa like Steel Panthers, for instance. Okay. I know there were buttons I had to click to do a whole bunch of crap right. in Steel Panthers. What I remember is a really vivid, seamless, pushing my tanks around the map and all, mm -hmm. all this sort of like really exciting like tanks exploding and, and like loud machine guns catching squads in the open. It was great. Uh, but when I go back to actually play Steel Panthers, suddenly there's actually an entire right-hand pane on the screen that I have no mm -hmm. memory of whatsoever. Yeah. Where it's like, what, what, what's, what's happening here? And I think when you go, when you encounter interfaces like this after you've sort of been playing what is the state of the art for a while. Um, you're, you're encountering all these conventions that you've sort of allowed yourself to forget because really like a good, inter like interface is just sort of the, the thing you have to get through to play your game, right? Like a really ideally a great interface becomes almost invisible. You just, right. it, it doesn't come between you and, and what you want to do with the program. Well, ideally you should just be able to think and the units should go where you want them. Exactly. So, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I completely understand the thing is, you know, I do remember kind of how clicky these games were and I still remember playing, uh, Panzer campaigns way back when, I mean, it was really, it was the first time, you know, I really like Eastern front. I really like large scale battles and, you know, these, these, this, you know, the campaign around Smolensk, I just remember counting the hexes over and over and thinking, gosh, this game is bigger than pretty much any uh, board game I have, you know, in terms of, you know, hexes in size and how long, you know, how large it would be on my, you know, on my floor or my table. And I think, God, this is just so great. I mean, look at, look at this game. This game is in my computer. I can play this. It's not going to get messed up. I can just, you know, save it and come back. And I, I had a lot of fun with that game, but you know, it, it was, 
sort of time consuming and it was tedious. And I remember thinking, okay, you know, you know, today I'm going to move the 395th regiment. And, you know, I would say, you know, start at the top of the map and sort of figure out what I was doing. There was a lot of, you know, macro to it, where are these units going to go, you know, where do I think the Russians are, things like that. And I just don't, my, not only is my mind in a different place now, but sort of my life and time are in a different place. And I just can't, I, the idea that I would devote, uh, you know, that much time to just sort of trying to assimilate a scenario in a, in a computer game, it, it just, it's not going to happen. So those things are magnified for me. And I, I don't, I'm not able to uh, sometimes appreciate, I think, you know, what the game does on a larger scale because I, I just, I don't have, I can't sort of conceptualize or visualize what I'm going to get to. I'm, I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to see that, you know, huge, you know, encirclement with these large, uh, large scenarios that, that came up for me in the, in the, as a matter of fact, we mentioned Course in Pocket. This came up for me in, in uh, HPS Sims Course in Pocket. It was so big that, you know, just assigning my artillery just made me tired. And, you know, I thought, gosh, you know, th does it have to be like this? And, uh, you know, I mean, some people, yes, it does. That's what they want to play, which is fine. But I mean, I can only give my own sort of experience and, and, uh, and I feel that the, 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 longer I play games and the more I see good designs that sort of address some of these issues, the harder it is for me to appreciate the good things about, you know, these sort of um, older games. It's a shame because, you know, the, the series does a lot of things right. I really think that its fundamental uh, assessment of, you know, the, the, uh, the technological systems of warfare were really good. Um, it's not so much a morale game as a, as a, as a technology game. And um, and I and I like that as long as that the situation sort of supported it, um, and you know the, the the games are you know varying success. I haven't played any of their ancients games yet. Um, you know, there's a squad battles, uh, there's a squad battles DNBN food, there's a squad battles Spanish Civil War, there's a you know squad battles uh, Afghanistan, there's a squad battles Arab Israeli wars, and you know these these all work to a certain degree, um, but. Uh, you know, it's almost driven by the driven by the situation. Um, Troy, you you've been a little quiet. What, what what's what's going through your mind when you're playing this game? Listen, what's going through my mind is generally is a lot of frustration, of course, with the interface, um, and with and I'm comparing it. And you mentioned the ancients, the HPS ancients games, which are they're their own little weird story, largely because of the angle uh, and the field of view really isn't that huh? great suited for it. But here, I mean, at least I can see the entire battle. Um, and the maps are clear and the objectives are clear, which is kind of, I think, why I compared it to a puzzle in that yeah, I, I know what's I know what victory is supposed to look like. And the trick is is getting there. I mean, it's I don't know. I do wonder how much of this is the system and how much the interface and how much just is trying to do a trying to do trench warfare, which no one really figured out for like three years anyway. Um and then expecting us, you know, mortals uh, to lead troops over broken ground. I mean, it's I'm, I've followed, I do the game just like Rob does. You know, I concentrate my fire on two or three different points and try to break through. And that place gets all the gas and that place gets all the mortars. I try to create a point to break through en masse. And, but, you know, it, there's, this isn't a game with tactical retreats. This is something else we talk about every now and then in the show is the problem with, a game where there's, you have to choose your strategy right at the beginning. This has been a problem with, you know, some grand strategy games we've talked about. I mean, we've talked about this a bit with Civ 4, or sorry, Civ 5, which I generally like, that you had to choose the, in the original version, you had to pick which victory you're going to go for pretty damn early. Otherwise, you wouldn't get anything. Um, here, the, the battles are kind of like that, which is, but that, that makes sense for a squad level game. You pick a plan and you stick with it. But, you know, there's no adjustment to new information. There's no, it's, you know, it, there's a big roll of the dice. And I guess that's probably accurate. And it probably fits the theme that, you know, you're, there's not a lot of thinking by the seat of your pants in the trenches. But it does rule out the chance that you can be creative. It rules out the chance that you can come up with something that, you know, Fosh couldn't or Haig couldn't or Ludendorff couldn't. Um, this inability to change things and because the 
the turns do take so long. Even like a nine-turn battle can just go on forever, it seems. I'm not sure why it takes so long for nine turns to well, go by. Because it's a squad system where people are building scenarios where entire regiments are involved. Like, let's not overlook that aspect of it, too. Um, yeah. This is something I actually, like, it, it's becoming a pet peeve of mine in war games where you'll have a system that can accommodate uh, like all these different, well, no, that's not even true. You'll have a system that has a sort of sweet spot, a system that represents conflict at a certain level. And then the scenario designers get a hold of it, and then they're like, yeah, but what if we took the like standard, wh whatever level of command you're supposed to be at in this game, what if we put you in command of three of them at once? And that kind of happens a little bit in this game. If you go through the scenario list, there's not a lot of small scenarios, um, there's not even that many medium scenarios. There's an awful lot lot of um, large and huge scenarios, at which point you are commanding, yeah, you'll have regimental level attacks where, where you've got multiple battalions out there on the field uh, storming forward toward an objective, and you are moving them around like platoon by platoon. Like, that is that is madness. Uh, and, I, and I sort of maybe get a little bit why that happens here because like it's world war one you've got a lot of large formations packed in a pretty dense area uh and so that's that's kind of like that this is kind of how attacks play out but i feel like that goes that, that's a little bit at odds with i think with it's a bit at odds with what i think is one of this game's great strengths which is sort of bringing to life the procedures and dilemmas of small unit tactics in world war one i'm not sure that it gets more interesting if you're responsible for you know let's call it two kilometers of front uh as opposed to a half kilometer of front i'm not the decision complexity or interest interestingness it doesn't scale up you know it's the same it's the same approach the same tactical approach whether it's a squad or a battalion or a regiment or even a division, maybe. Only you might have a little bit more control over your artillery lands if you control the division. Um, it's generally, it's, you'll be doing pretty much the same things, only more often, I guess. Um, it'll be interesting if there, if this is, you know, it's a pet peeve of mine too, where you change the level, but not, but don't scale the decisions up. Don't make them, you know, more reflective of what a commander at that level might have to do. But that would require, you know, game design, not scenario design. You know, the thing about it is, though, I think that in World War One, you run up against sort of the um, the question of scenario relevance. So, you you, I don't think that this in in, um, in World War Two games and you know in Vietnam games there, in in. In warfare where there is more mobility and the idea that, you know, holes can be exploited more easily, I think that you can really set up a scenario where, you know, taking a single bridge or, you know, taking part of the tractor factory is actually, uh, you know, is actually relevant in itself. Whereas I think that um, in these World War One scenarios that they have, it if you just had, you know, 10 squads. I mean, what does it matter what those 10 squads did? And, and Rob, I'm, I'm reminded of, you know, you uh, lent me um, the uh, uh, Alistair Horne's uh, book about Verdun last mm -hmm. year and um, Price of Glory. That, I mean, I thought that that was a great book, but the thing that it really sort of showed you was sort of the the monstrous scale of, of what happened in that battle and how, you know, the French just saw these, you know, these waves of, of, of Germans coming in these, you know, these, these small, and they were, they were small squads, but the whole, you know, the, basically the whole battlefield was just covered with them. And it, it just didn't matter what, you know, what, what, what 10 or 20 squads did. So I think you run up against that, um, uh, run up against that problem in, in World War Two or sorry, World War One scenarios where, um, I mean, you have to design something that people think is interesting and matters. Otherwise, why wouldn't you, you know, why play it at all? That's, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I grant it. Uh, okay. Because I think, I mean, uh, like in long run, most of the battles here, the outcome's almost irrelevant. Like you've got a lot of battles where it's like, yep, you've got to recapture this position that was lost last week. And, 
you know if you know the history, like, yep, and it's kind of a recapture the week after. Like this, it's it's just one stage in a, in a pitched battle. I I feel like I I feel like there are war games that I'm I'm struggling for an example of them at the at, at this moment. But there's there's a tradition war gaming almost where like you abstract something, right? Like you 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 take a small slice of a larger con a larger battle. And that whole thing becomes kind of symbolic uh, of the entire battle. Like, okay, so like... Um, In well, tactical games, you mean? Yeah. Like, okay. Like, take close combat a bridge too far, for instance, right? Like, it's not simulating every single inch of the, you know, of the front along the Eindhoven Bridge, right? Like, it's not doing that. But it's, it's, it's giving you these little, these little, these little stages... Where a couple companies meet, they mix it up, and you get the results. And okay, you did a good job. You you help the allies advance up the road, or if you're the Germans, you you cut the you cut the allies off, and now they can't get supplies through. But that's I mean that's those all have relevance, right? I mean you can you can break that battle up into you know the battle for the bridge at Grave, the bat you know the battle for Nijmegen Bridge, right? I mean those all that was a, that was a plan in which. All of those things had to go right in order for the for the allies to be successful. So, as the Germans, you need to have one of those things go wrong. So, each individual aspect of that battle is incredibly important and and can't be overlooked. You can't you can't you know I mean if you you, you can atomize the 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 battle in a sense and and simulate it that way because you know that your result has a you know is is, is important in context and. I think that that's that's actually a whole other discussion that we could have about the idea of relevance in, in game design. I mean, you don't have there's no there are very few. I can't think of one off the top of my head. I don't can't think of a game about you know uh, the um, the battle for the Great Redoubt at Borodino, right? I mean, there's a game called the Great Redoubt, but it's about the Battle of Borodino. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the in in uh, you know 19th century warfare or in, in before that, I mean, you simulated battles. You know, these ancients, you simulated the battle. You didn't simulate, you know, the left flank of Austerlitz. Um, it's only in sort of continuous front warfare that started with, you know, World War I uh, that, uh, you know, in the American Civil War, you, you simulate, you can simulate individual battles. You don't simulate, you know, well, I guess you could simulate the cherry orchard or, you know, um, you could simulate... Um, uh, Pickett's Charge. Actually, there's a game about Pickett's Charge, but in general, these tactical games, there, you you fight the whole battle, and so when you get to continuous front warfare, you're you're faced with a problem, which is, how am I going to take this front that goes from Leningrad to Stalingrad, and how am I going to make a, a battle there relevant? And then as you you realize that the, a lot of the front changed because of things that happened on completely opposite parts of the front so fine so now i can i can just kind of zoom in on that part of the battlefield and then what's important about that battle um that you know you can kind of zoom in well you know at the you know the 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 northern flank of of, of kursk uh you know the s the heavy ss armor uh that met the you know sort of dug in uh, you know echelon soviet defenses so now you get to that and you can you can sort of zoom in and there there's a there's a relevance that you can establish to each um it's it's almost like you're telescoping in, like you're getting a focusing on smaller and smaller things. And I think with World War II, with games that with uh, sorry warfare that's more mobile, that focus actually can get so small. But with World War One, I, I feel like you sort of get to a fixed sort of like focal length, and you can't go any smaller, and so you're stuck. And when you try to get smaller than that, everything just gets really blurry and hmm. and and kind of homogenized. And so your limit, your your sort of uh, what I call your scenario focal length. I, I can't believe that I'm bringing physics into this. It actually sounds kind of ludicrous, except it, to me it makes perfect sense um, that your scenario focal length gets fixed much further out. So now you have to have a game system where in order to simulate the part of the battle that's relevant, you have to do it at a scale that's not going to be tedious. And so immediately this kind of squad level thing doesn't make sense anymore. And that's where the problem, I think, with World War One squad battles happens is that all games are trying to figure out what's interesting about a certain system, right? And with World War One, you just kind of have to step up 
there's still things that are interesting, but when you get this this close, you, you kind of realize, oh, these are just all ants, and they're just all running around, and they're all the same. So I need to zoom out onto the different anthills. I don't know. Does that make any sense? Yes, it, it actually does. That was, that was really interesting. I'm still not sure I'd agree, because I think okay. if you break down a lot of World War I battles, you still find, like, we have this idea of mm-hmm. World War One as being this like the this endless contiguous front. Notice we haven't even talked about Eastern Front battles in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have this Oh that's idea- a completely different thing. Yeah. Yes. But we we have this idea And of- Caporetto, for example. Caporetto had had uh, had small I mean oh, you man, could take- there's a battle. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 you know Stuss Troop and all that kind of stuff. So so yes, there are there are places where this I think can work, but I, cut I, you well, I, think, I think even Verdun, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think if you were to like take the Battle of Verdun, if you were to look at the uh, battle, like the fighting around like uh, Fort Duomal, for instance, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's actually really easy to break down. Like, it's this huge, it's this huge battle. Like, that becomes a focal point of the entire freaking battle. And, like, massive numbers of troops are committed on each side to either hold or retake the, the, this fort. But the way the battle plays out in a lot of places. It does actually sort of break down to this level, like these these small unit actions as people are fighting around like corners of the fort because that's kind of the way things ended up playing out. Like you, you know, you have an entire battle taking place over one geographic feature of the battlefield, and I think that actually is something maybe you can abstract a little bit. Like how many you know how many attacks were you know like around the entire like Ypres salient right there were there were landmarks that became landmarks for like years in that battle like soldiers just soldiers knew to navigate the battlefield because there were certain things that you know okay this you know that what used to be the orchard that's that's always that's always an objective the ruined church that's that's always an objective um and so i i do feel like there there is probably a there, there's probably a way to break it down a little bit. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure you could break it down to the company level very successfully. But I feel like there probably could have been a lot more good, like battalion level scenarios, and not quite so many. You know, not not quite so many scenarios where, where you just have these hordes of units, these these ants uh, flowing flowing across the map. That said, though, I, I I do I do sort of I do sort of see your point, I, and I, I think the the idea of there being sort of a scenario focal length for a system is is, is probably. A decent observation. I mean, this is one of the reasons when we talk about the operational lot of war, this is one of the reasons that game breaks down, right? It has mm-hmm. a sweet spot. It yep. pretends it doesn't. It right. pretends it's very versatile, but right. it, it isn't as versatile as it allows you to be, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that happens a little bit here. And I think there's some battles in World War One that, yeah, probably don't lend themselves to like what's a platoon leader, what's a company leader going to do at the Battle of the Somme that's going to be terribly interesting, right? Like Go forward, guy. Oh well, that didn't go well. All right. Well, we'll tr- we'll try again. Uh, so I, I I see your point, but but I do think um, it is a problem in this game where there's probably just a, a few too many scenarios where I think you're trying to get some you're trying to capture the sweep of one large engagement and you almost go for like a one for one modeling of it um, when probably the better part of valor would have been to maybe abstract away part of it or you know just just fudge it a little bit i guess right like i don't need to move you know 70 units to try to capture a salient if the fundamental action is is like tactically identical right does that does that right. make sense yeah I, I i agree with you i mean i think yeah you have a that was a great point about dual mall i have to say um so you know you can certainly find ep- now on, on Ypres, I think that the uh, the um, the landmarks there became landmarks. I don't think for any strategic reason. It was just that happened to be where a lot of the the fighting was. That's um, where the front never moved. Yeah, I mean, it was just. I mean, that no. that when two when two lines clash, they're going to clash somewhere, and when there are landmarks there, they become famous. I don't. So, I don't think there's. It's not. Uh, it's not like the. Um, uh, you know the 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 uh, sort of hog hogmol or how hogmol I don't know at Waterloo. Uh, so um, it the duomol uh, at uh, at Verdun was was definitely you know that was a huge uh, you know sort of uh, setback for the for the French that they lost the fort um, and psychologically certainly. So yeah, I think you could do that uh, there. Um, 
but I think that there are probably fewer instances like that in World War One. But like we said, you know, Caporetto, um, there's just different, uh, there, there, I think you'd have to choose things very carefully. And that, that's why, you know, what I'd really do is just make a game about Caporetto. Um, and then design it for that because there are interesting situations, you know, and also, you know, Tannenberg, there's so interesting situations there. Um, you know, uh, Bruce Love Offensive, you know, just there's, there's stuff going on. Well, I suspect then you're into the, the economics of, of computer war game design, right? Yeah. Like well, it's right. so much better to have a system that you can then adapt yeah. than it oh, is to have no, to go I'm not, and... I'm not blaming them for, for doing that. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, I mean, how many people are actually buying this stuff? I, I'd love to know that. Um but um, I can't, you know, I'm not, I'm not criticizing their decision. Uh, you know, you yeah. certainly, certainly not, mean, not their business decision, right? But their, yeah. but their aesthetic game design. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're still in business. I mean, hats off to them. So, I mean, it's, it's more like, you know, I, I, I'd like to see something different. It may not be possible from an economic standpoint, but that just from a, from an aesthetic criticism standpoint, that's what I got. So. Wrap it. We're, we're getting towards the time point. We got to wrap it up, but, but I am mm-hmm. curious. Um. World War One is boring, right? That's the no, conventional. It's not. No, I'm saying that's the conventional wisdom. Like tactically, people are like, "Nah, not much is happening." Mm-hmm. Does this? And I'm not even sure I grant that. And I'm I'm curious. Does the, the this game succeed in sort of salvaging World War One from sort of the tactical wargaming abyss uh, into which it's been cast these many years? I don't think so, but I think that there are some interesting scenarios here. I mean, I think that I, I really enjoyed some of the Glipply scenarios, the smaller ones. Yeah. Um, you know, you land and you rush. I mean, it's all, you know, I, I feel like Mel Gibson's going to show up at any point. Um, but uh, it's, you know, it's that kind of, you know, there's a drama to it. Um, and rushing for those victory point objectives and just seeing how many guys get there. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of sad when you think about it, uh, you know, what it's really representing. But, um, but there, there, like I said, there is a drama there's to it. There's a tension to it. But but I'm, I'm, I certainly wouldn't sit, I wouldn't choose that over and over again uh, i think that there there are games that have a more robust uh decision profile uh and uh ratio of uh, decisions to actions that um that i would prefer to play as in this series as a matter of fact yeah i think we should i'd, I'd like to do another uh squad battles game sometime later this year yeah, yeah. a more modern one i think i think you know the soviet afghan war would be a fun just to compare you know uh what i uh, it's, it's it's not the Vietnam game, which we kind of think going to test to being a really really good war game, but it's also it is you know squad actions in varied terrain mm-hmm. with asymmetric forces. I think that would be a more interesting squad battle game to look at, and also think a better examination of the systems. I think the system's more designed to deal with that sort of experience than with you know turn of the century warfare. Do you guys feel like the game brings out any of these sort of uh, technological advances that that sort of take place over the course of this war? And I don't just mean the advent of the tank, right? But like by 1917, 1918, like the Germans are really sort of breaking new ground in sort of small unit tactics, right? Like uh, like storm storm units are, are sort of an important innovation that actually allow the Germans to German infantry suddenly to actually be much more effective than infantry has been the for several years on the Western Front, uh, does does the game get a, a does the game show the passage of like tactical doctrine and the sort of shifting shifting approach to combat? Does it bring that to life successfully for you? Um, I never noticed if it did. I, I don't think so. Um. But then, you know, I didn't play every single scenario, and I didn't play them multiple times. So, you know, I certainly, I, I don't want to say that it, it's not in the game. I just want to say that I didn't get there yet. And so uh, I don't did it for you. Um, not really. Uh, and I, I, I think uh, that's why I was kind of curious whether, whether you guys had a different reaction. The way I kind of felt it is... I think part of it is the because of the way the game is paced and the way controlling it works is that it feels very much like you're doing the same thing from one scenario to another even if the tools change right and I feel that's kind of what was going on here um 
was was that fundamentally those those changes felt rather those advances felt rather small compared to the over the overarching pace of play. I mean, I think that that uh, when you're going to have things like when when you're going to have uh, differences in in doctrine, tactics, whatever, anything, no matter how interesting it is can be buried in uh in mechanics and in uh sort of uh the physical demands on the player and so that's probably what happens here all right so that does it for uh john john tiller squad battles first world war uh you can buy that at the john tiller software store uh for forty dollars uh, but as you may have gleaned from this podcast, perhaps there's other Squad Battles uh, games that you would be better advised to play, such as uh, Squad Battles Vietnam or uh, the Soviet-Afghan War one. Soviet-Afghan War, yeah. There definitely yeah. don't be sour on the Squad Battle system because of this podcast. I think you should be more sour on this particular game, but there are definitely uh, games in the Squad Battle systems that are worth your time. Yes, Absolutely. So, the, yeah, that covers Squad Battles First World War. Uh, the Winter of Wargaming is beginning to wind down. We have a few more games we want to hit. We definitely uh, have one we need to hit, so um, yes, yes. stay with us, guys. Uh, but I think next year, as we as as we were discussing a bit before the show, I think next year uh, our Winter of Wargaming might be a series of pre-recorded shows. Uh, Preloaded. Yeah. 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 Because uh, I, it is definitely difficult to pack hardcore war games one after another in the space of a season. Uh, these are yep. definitely games to be meditated over. Yes, and and read about, and you have to you have to come to them with a real appreciation, which I have to say, Rob, you uh, always do. Uh, Troy also, but Troy just knows so much about just all sorts of things. But um, I think whereas Rob is not. Well, no, it's Rob, Rob. Rob is always asking about, uh, you know, various, you know, Rob says, hey, what would be good about this? Or, what, you know, what should I read about this? And then you mention a couple of things and all of a sudden Rob has like comes in with, with all these, you know, these trenchant observations that, uh, you know, sort of. I'm, in, I'm entirely yeah. kidding. I, yeah. I, I really love our war game shows. Yeah, they really yeah. do. Uh, it's the stuff that you literally can't get anywhere else yeah. uh, in a podcast as far as I know. But it does. But the the downside to that is that you really have. It takes time to play the game, think about the stuff that's in the game, re reread stuff or read it for the first time, and then kind of go back and see if you really see that in the game or not, and then formulate. They're, they're a definitely they're definitely more of a stretch uh, yeah. for us intellectually, and just like you said, Bruce. Like I mean, these are harder games to fit into your schedule. Uh, than a lot of other games. Like, I can yeah. sit down and dive into City Skylines, even if I don't know what I'm doing, yeah. uh, and be ready to do a show on that in a few hours. But, right. uh, you know, a game like this definitely required... Um, well, I mean, first of all, there's my entire ineffective first wave assault on first on Squad Battles First World War uh, when I saw the interface and got bogged down in the mire and uh, was cut to ribbons. But uh, I'm glad we finally got around to it, and uh, I do love doing these shows. I think next year I just want to... Um, have more time to give each of these games uh, their due and maybe do our lit review with a little more uh, oh, yeah. care. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's, that's the new year's resolution, I guess, for the, for the winter of war gaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, though I've enjoyed this year's edition uh, quite a bit. And there's a few more good shows I'm looking forward to. Uh, I, I'm even more excited about how we're going to approach it uh, next year. Uh, I think it'll be some cool, cool stuff we'll be doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Say good night, everybody. Well, Good night.